I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Today, in January 6th conspiracy land, it's quiet. It's too quiet. No, the DOJ has not arrested Tucker Carlson for obstruction of justice, nor is it likely to. But it is clear somebody in there is out to contradict him, humiliate him, and get him fired by Fox. And whatever the plan is, it may be working. Something certainly has worked. Tucker Carlson has completely punted on the January 6th story. Did not mention it once last night. No Q shaman, no conspiracy, no withheld, no fire Liz Cheney, no we demand immediate action like it never happened. Tucker Carlson offered no explanation as he ran away as to why he ran away. The Department of Justice It offered lots of explanations. Sunday, it was the release of Memorandum 689 confirming that Carlson was lying on television, that the Q shaman had access to all the video Carlson showed and all the video Carlson did not show because it would have destroyed his lie while he was lying it. Yesterday, the release came of some of that video Carlson is hiding. Again, This release was in answer to Dominic Pozzola's motion to dismiss the January 6th charges against him, quote, due to recent revelations on the Tucker Carlson show. 
This is the audio track from the body cam of one of dozens of officers summoned to the Senate chamber when Jacob Chansley was told to leave and he refused, and he and the other insurrectionists had to be boxed out by Capitol Police. And the voice you will hear is that of Tucker Carlson's mild-mannered, railroaded sightseer Chansley screaming as police adroitly force him and the other terrorists out of the Capitol without somehow shooting any of them. Another video, one of three the Department of Justice released yesterday, is less audibly gaudy, to use that word, but it is far more harrowing. This is from the exact moment Jacob Chansley, a.k.a. the real victim here shaman, and the rest of the mob came within perhaps 30 feet of a senator being evacuated. We think it's Chuck Grassley. Nobody can be certain. And in the video, there is only one officer standing in an open vestibule blocking them from attacking that senator. The Department of Justice is going to prove that Jacob Chansley, the Q shaman, was as guilty as he said he was in the plea bargain he signed and the sentence he accepted 55 days after his lawyer received the last of all of the January 6th video. And while it is not doing as good a job as, say, Dominion Voting Systems is at destroying Fox, quote, news, unquote, and destroying Rupert Murdoch and destroying Sean Hannity and destroying Laura Ingram and destroying Suzanne Scott and destroying Tucker Carlson, the DOJ certainly is doing the best that it can, considering it's a government bureaucracy. So far, it has proved Tucker Carlson lied about Chansley lied about Chansley's access to exculpatory video that wasn't the least bit exculpatory, lied about January 6th in toto, and committed with Speaker McCarthy obstruction of justice, if not legally, then certainly ethically. And now with the release of these videos, the DOJ is clearly bolstering that latest question. Why is Tucker Carlson hiding the January 6th video that implicates Jacob Chansley and by extension implicates Tucker Carlson? and Speaker McCarthy. Carlson's silence on this subject last night underscores the bizarre reality that Fox is getting hammered on its January 6th video coverage by the right wing. It was calculated that the Newsmax channel has covered Fox's coverage at seven times the frequency Fox has. Newsmax has accused Fox of a cover-up. Twitter was full last night with confused Tucker Carlson viewers who do not understand they are Tucker's suckers in the manipulation game that is Fox, quote, news, unquote. They wrote with almost pitiable confusion to him asking where the rest of the video is. These are the people, after all, whom a former Tucker Carlson producer named Alex Pfeiffer compared dealing with to, quote, like negotiating with terrorists, but especially dumb ones, cousin effing types, unquote. Absent a reliable source inside an organization that always fires reliable sources to say what has happened inside Fox is speculative at best. You and I 
would probably look at the new videos released by the Department of Justice and flinch and maybe hope, oh, never mentioning any of it ever again might make the DOJ also stop mentioning how dishonest we were ever again. Tucker Carlson could be showing self-restraint, I suppose, but that would be a first. This is a guy who, as late as 2010, opened a website using my name and personally took my name as his email address at that website. And when a not-too-bright columnist from the Philadelphia Daily News sent an email full of questions to me to that address, Carlson posed as me answered the questions in a way designed to get my boss to fire me and insult my boss, whom he did not like, and the Philadelphia guy printed the answers as if they had been from me. Tucker Carlson congratulated himself on the identity theft, never once stopping to think that to do so, he had to admit that he went to the trouble of setting up an entire website so he could pretend for just a few fleeting minutes that he was not merely Tucker Carlson but that he was me. I mean, I wouldn't even do that. Anyway, other factors could have caused Carlson to turn tail and run about January 6th, as clearly he has. The non-Fox reaction to his video gaslighting is the last thing Rupert Murdoch needs. With the Dominion lawsuit still in full flower, we do not know if there is a fourth tranche of Fox texts and emails and other self-owns being sorted right now by the best damn defamation attorneys in the world. But even if there isn't, there is an ongoing legal fight over the Fox redactions from the first three tranches. If Dominion gets a judge to order all of those transcripts released again without those black boxes, it'll be like having three Christmases in two weeks, and then, surprise, you give back all the gifts and Santa hands you upgrades on every single one of them. The answer may actually be legal action, but not directed against Carlson for obstruction of justice, damn it, nor Murdoch for defaming Dominion. But late last week, to little fanfare, the New York State Supreme Court refused to throw out the second defamation suit against Fox by a voting machine company. And believe it or not, the one by Dominion was considered the lesser of the two. It merely asked for a billion six in damages. Smartmatic SGO Group is suing for 2.7, and it is suing Fox and Maria Bartiromo by name, and Lou Dobbs by name, and Rudy Giuliani by name, because not only did they accuse Smartmatic of altering votes in 2020, but Fox regularly said Smartmatic was a Venezuelan company in cahoots with various foreign governments, when in fact Smartmatic was created in that far-off exotic land, Boca Raton, Florida. As with any sudden dead stop like this, Carlson and Hannity and Ingram and who knows, maybe the Department of Justice may have seen it coming and buckled up, but lots of other people didn't. And there is windshield trinkle all over the country. There are still some people fully invested in the Carlson McCarthy video scam. And the next question needs to be, what, if anything, can be done about those outside of Fox who were or are still promulgating and spreading Tucker Carlson's attempt to interfere with the prosecution of insurrectionists and terrorists, those who informally or otherwise joined Tucker Carlson's obstruction of justice brigade? 
after four days of nonstop bleeding about this, virtually every Republican congressman who had picked up the Carlson videos and ran with them punted on it faster than he did. Kevin McCarthy said on Fox Sunday morning that the January 6th committee was not truthful. That was it. He has said nothing since. You may have seen that after a series of Elon Musk tweets reading free Jacob Chansley and insisting January 6th was just a guided tour, I retweeted him and asked readers to report one of those tweets as the denial of a violent act. Musk escalated by replying to me, have you considered a career in comedy? I escalated again by answering, have you ever considered a career in business? Saturday night came Musk's reply on Twitter, I do hope to succeed in business with a fingers crossed emoji, which was not only not about Jacob Chansley or January 6th in the slightest, but was definitely a de-escalation, was almost endearing and was kind of funny. And Musk hasn't tweeted a thing about January 6th since. Only Dr. Paul Gozar the Arizona congressman, vibrating with who knows what neurological disease, delirium tremens, too much meth, who knows. Only Dr. Paul Gozar is still carrying this banner. He got up in front of some kid's microphone and said he expects the House will make criminal referrals for the prosecution of Liz Cheney, other members of the January 6th committee, some members of the military, about the investigation. Dr. Gozar's gelatinous stance reminded me again of my friend George Carlin's greatest simple joke that mathematically somebody on this planet is the world's worst doctor. George would pause and then add, and somebody has an appointment to see him tomorrow morning. Dr. Gozar will see you soon. It could very well be that tonight at 8 o'clock, Tucker Carlson goes back to the January 6th tapes and has all three of Jacob Chansley's lawyers on, along with Jacob Zuma, Jacob deGrom, and the ghost of Jacob Marley. But barring that, I had two more flashbacks. Yeah, I have a lot of flashbacks. I've told you ad nauseum here about the day the chairman of General Electric threatened to shut down MSNBC if we mentioned Fox again, and Fox mentioned him again, so we simply didn't mention Fox again for weeks in hopes that nobody would notice, and largely nobody noticed, until I broke the truce. Sorry. And even more relevantly, this popped into my head. I happened to be at the 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid at the height of the Cold War with the Soviet Union at perhaps the hour where it seemed the most like we were not winning the Cold War. The world's media had been housed rather well, I thought, in Lake Placid High School. My employers, United Press International, took over the chemistry lab, which was great because if you opened the window of our little sub office for the radio network, you were literally leaning over the Olympic skating oval on which Eric Haydn won his five gold medals in nine days. The Soviet news agency, TASS, had perhaps a better location in the media center still. TASS was next to the school lunchroom, the cafeteria, turned into the media dining room with some of the best food I have had in my life. If you were hungry, and we were all hungry because the food was that good, you necessarily had to walk right past the TAS Bureau, a beehive of dozens of 
journalists, I guess. Then the United States Olympic hockey team beat the Russians on Friday, February 22nd. When we all got back to the media center for the great dining room breakfast of Saturday, February 23rd, there was a crowd outside the now locked door of the now unlit TASS newsroom. Everybody was reading this sign, handmade and taped on the door by the handle. It read, Closed are we. Witnesses reported that the TASS team, every last one of them, and every Soviet athlete not competing in the last two days of the Olympics had been trundled away in the middle of the night back to Russia. Russia, where today they happen to love Tucker Carlson, and where today it may be the case that as far as any more January 6th gaslighting or January 6th dire threats or just January 6th Fox coverage, that may all be summed up by those same three words. Closed are we. Still ahead of us in this edition of Countdown, you heard it correctly, a South Carolina state legislator and 21 co-sponsors have taken their madness to the final inevitable step. For women who get an abortion, they want the death penalty. That's right, if you're not pro-life, we will kill you. Credit where credit is due, an obscure pitcher from an obscure team does so well at the World Baseball Classic, he gets a contract from a big league club on his way to the locker room. This is the World Baseball Classic where one of the players from Great Britain saw the first T fall off his uniform yesterday, literally. Speaking of Great Britain, the BBC came down like a ton of bricks on its star sportscaster Gary Lineker for having had the nerve to call fascists in the British government fascists. Three days later, they had to remove each of those bricks one by one, hit themselves in the head with them, and reinstate the sportscaster. And once again, I have a lot of flashbacks. I flash back to the weekend that MSNBC tried that stunt with me and wound up having to unsuspend me just like Lineker. Things I promised not to tell coming up. That's next. This is Countdown. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks... Heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you know, this is Countdown with, uh, you know, Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline, Columbia, South Carolina. Well, this was inevitable. The death penalty for women who have abortions. That is in the bill proposed by South Carolina State Representative Rob Harris. The South Carolina Prenatal Equal Protection Act of 2023. Representative Harris is a registered nurse. Better check on his patients. And a member of the State Freedom Caucus. And he's not alone on this. The bill has 21 co-sponsors. The South Carolina National Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who says she was raped at 16, has slammed this bill as, quote, deeply disturbing and goes on to blame it on a lack of bipartisan leadership from Washington. No, Congresswoman, this is the fault of the Republican Party, your party, and the corruption of the Supreme Court. Congratulations, Congresswoman Mace. You're part of the group that has now made the ultimate all lives matter pro-life statement. Kill women. And Dateline Hudson Yards, New York, taking anything you read in the New York Post with a carload of salt, especially anything in the page six gossip column. It reports there is, quote, already chatter, unquote, that CNN chairman and former Joe Scarborough henchman Chris Licht will be, quote, out by Labor Day, the paper, which, again, does make up quotes, quotes an insider as saying he hates the job and can't do it. Well, the last part's obviously true. It also covers its ass by saying that Licht may not be fired because it would make his boss, David Zaslav, look bad for hiring him. But, of course, Zaslav looks bad now. Anyway, how could he fire Licht? If he fired Licht, how would Licht be able to afford paste? And, of course, we're leaving out one other option. Licht could turn around his year of unparalleled failure and make CNN into a success. Nancy Faust. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown 
with Keith Olbermann. In sports, first big move of the NFL free agent offseason, ESPN is reporting that the Raiders have signed away quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo from the 49ers. It's three years, $67.5 million. Now, the way contracts work in the National Football League, the actual guaranteed part of that $67.5 million could be as low as $3.98. Trevor Bauer cut loose by baseball's L.A. Dodgers after accusations of assault, ranging up to fracturing a woman's skull during violent sex, has reportedly signed with the Yokohama Bay Stars of Japan's Central League for $3 million for the 2023 season. The Dodgers will still have to pay him $22 million this season anyway. Bauer, who apart from the grotesque accusations, is behaving here like a profoundly unstable individual, was the National League Cy Young Award winner in 2020, but has not pitched since he was suspended at the end of June 2021. It is flatly hard to believe that the Japanese will let him pitch there either. I'm still hoping for the World Baseball Classic to go away, but this is a nice story. 21-year-old pitcher Duque Hebert of Nicaragua struck out Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, and Rafael Devers of the Dominican Republic in one inning in the game at Miami yesterday. Bears never pitched in American professional baseball. That's now going to change right after that game. A Detroit Tigers scout offered Bear a contract, and he signed it. And one of the first and only characters ever to play for the New York Yankees, first baseman outfielder Joe Pepitone, has died. A Brooklyn native, he took over the Yankees' first base job in 1963 and hit 104 homers over the next four seasons, making three all-star teams and winning two Gold Glove awards at first base. But in 1968, he agreed to move to center field so that the aging Yankee immortal Mickey Mantle could switch to first base to save his knees. He promptly won a Gold Glove in the outfield in 1969. But Pepitone's immortality came from stories told about him in the book written by his Yankee teammate Jim Bouton, Ball Four. How terrified of losing the ball in the glare of the October sun at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, he actually once shook off a pickoff throw during the 1963 World Series. Bouton also insisted Pepitone may have been the first major league player to wear a toupee during games. And moreover, Pepitone continued to pretend it was his real hair going to the extreme of using a hair dryer on it in the Yankee clubhouse. Bouton wrote that his teammates had enough of that and pranked Pepe once by filling the hair dryer with talcum powder. And the next thing you knew, it was Christmas. Joe Pepitone was 82. Peace, Joe Pep. Ahead, Gary Lineker beats the BBC, gets himself unsuspended, and I flash back to the day MSNBC suspended me indefinitely without pay, and four days later, I was back on the air with pay. In fact, more money than they had originally intended to pay me. Things I promise not to tell coming up. First time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. LeBron's Andy Kessler, who writes for the deplorable Wall Street Journal. He explained to his readers why the Silicon Valley Bank went under, quote, In its proxy statement, SVB notes that besides 91% of their board being independent and 45% women, they also have, quote, one black, quote, one LGBTQ plus, 
and, quote, two veterans. I'm not saying 12 white men would have avoided this mess, but the company may have been distracted by diversity demands, unquote. Guess what, jerkwad? In fact, you are saying 12 white men would have avoided this mess, and you're an idiot for saying that. Oink, oink. Runner-up Trump, who came out of his cave last night to go give a speech in Iowa about education. Education? The guy who faked his way through Penn and Wharton, who was expelled from public school at age 13 and forced to go to the New York Military Academy, NEMA? What would Trump know about education other than how to avoid going to class? But our winners, Brian Kilmeade of Fox Quote News, unquote, and Florida Governor Ron DeFascist. Kilmeade has now been pretending to be a journalist for 25 years. Yesterday, he interviewed DeSantis, who cannot be an actual presidential candidate because to run, he would have to resign as governor of Florida. He hasn't gotten around to repealing that law yet. The two did their interview while playing catch. Brian Kilmeade of Fox and Ron, to be fair, it is impressive that DeSantis could do that while wearing his high heels, DeSantis. Today's worst persons in the I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Still ahead on Countdown, Gary Lineker beat the BBC, preserved his right to tweet his political opinions while doing sports, and the BBC climb down was it's going to now review its social media policies. And of course, the longer that takes, the less you will remember they suspended the guy. And boy, is this deja vu for me. This is exactly what happened to me at MSNBC in 2010, except with different accents. And they wound up having to apologize to me. Things I promised not to tell coming up first in each edition of Countdown. We feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. To Devore, California, and Sloan, a five-year-old Great Dane. Sloan is a big dog who has a black coat, and that is a death warrant. Even though she's docile, she's not aggressive. In fact, she's terrified and curled up into the fetal position. They'll kill her as fast as they can. And she only got there five days ago. Our pledges to help defray the costs of a rescue to pull her out are her best and maybe her only chance to live. If you can pledge, you can find Sloan on my Twitter feeds and your retweets alone will also help. I thank you and Sloan thanks you. Number one story on the countdown now and things I promise not to tell and my favorite topic, me. And there is no deja vu like the deja vu of seeing something that played out in your public life, playing out in the public life of a man in a similar job, in a similar business, in a different country. As I mentioned here yesterday, a week ago today, the Home Secretary of the United Kingdom, Suella Braverman, capped a decade of increasing British insensitivity to desperate migrants dying at their figurative doorstep. Braverman made the stark announcement about people trying to cross the English Channel, quote, enough is enough, we must stop the boats. Like she was going to blow them out of the water with torpedoes. Gary Lineker, the former British football World Cup star and now host of the Lynchpin BBC sports telecast match of the day, retweeted Braverman, adding, quote, this is awful. And then in a second tweet, quote, this is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. Well, of course, he's right. The BBC, though, has been lurching to the right for several years, for several decades. It has a new right-wing chairman who is accused of helping to arrange a family loan for the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. It lives in mortal daily terror of the Conservative Party, which itself desperately wants to eliminate the license fee that taxpayers there are charged to keep the BBC going. In fact, the Conservative Party wants to eliminate the BBC itself or sell it because they're conservatives and therefore they are fascists. Management immediately responded to this brouhaha by announcing Gary Lineker would be stepping back from his duties as the host of the match of the day this past Saturday. And that's TV management speak worldwide for he's suspended, mate. Lineker is not only the highest paid sports broadcaster at the BBC, he is its highest paid broadcaster of any type. Yet the government somehow thought, despite his obvious popularity and being in demand, and then the BBC went along with the government, 
that they could attack Lineker. They could claim Lineker made remarks insensitive to Jewish people. And how dare you call us Nazis, even though he never mentioned that word, and that Lineker would just fold. There is no real comparison to Lineker in this country. He's not just a popular commentator or color announcer. He's the host. He's the host who used to be the star player. I don't know. Maybe maybe if Tony Romo was the studio host of the NFL on CBS and the face of the network sports division at CBS. When the BBC suspended Lineker last Tuesday, it expected he would cave, or at worst, they would fire him and the government would give them, I don't know, an extra 10 pounds in the budget next year. Instead, all of Gary Lineker's on-air colleagues, all the other sportscasters covering football for the BBC, none of whom makes even a quarter of what he does, refused to go on the air without him. There were no commentators on Saturday's BBC Match of the Day and Sunday's women's broadcasts and radio broadcasters. No announcers. Moreover, Lineker made it clear he was not going to apologize or kill the tweet. Yesterday, the BBC unsuspended Lineker, the director general of the BBC, what is this, the Pirates of Penzance? I am the very model of the modern director general. The director general of the BBC said, quote, everyone recognizes this has been a difficult period for staff, contributors, presenters, and most importantly, our audiences. I apologize for this. Well, you should. It's your fault. To continue the quote, the potential confusion caused by the gray areas of the BBC's social media guidance that was introduced in 2020 is recognized. I want to get matters resolved and our sport content back on air. In other words, we're going to take this social media rule, which we screwed up, and we're going to blame that for all the things we screwed up about Gary Lineker, which could have been fixed in about an hour and which can now be fixed in about an hour, and we're going to make the whole process take six or eight weeks or 30 weeks or two years or a decade in hopes you'll forget all about this. Needless to say, the BBC was promptly attacked by all British political parties. And among the main ones, one of them complained that they had suspended Lineker, and the other one complained that they had unsuspended Lineker. Suspended on Friday, outraged that day, Worldwide, yelling and threats all weekend, colleagues refusing to go on without him, back on the air next Saturday, no punishment, no fine, no suspension, just a review. Exactly the way it worked out for me and MSNBC more than a dozen years ago, right down to NBC having to do the climb down on a Monday. The only difference is I went back on the air, not on Saturday, but on Tuesday. In November 2010, for the third consecutive time, I anchored the elections for MSNBC. We were focused that year entirely on the Senate and the governor's races. That made no sense to me, but I didn't make that call. But it had been the plan also since our first meeting about election night, which had happened in August or September. Don't discuss the House or, for that matter, the Rand Paul blowout win for the Senate in Kentucky. So I was at the anchor desk for the midterms. And in seven or eight hours on the air, I did not mention one house race or candidate. Everything was fine. MSNBC had its best election night ratings ever. And then somebody called one of the political websites to say, ooh, Alberman made campaign donations to some Democrats in the house races and did that Democratic senator race in Kentucky. 
And they called NBC Public Relations, and NBC Public Relations called the president of MSNBC, and he called me in my car on the way home from the show. And I said, yeah, it's true. A friend of mine asked me to donate to those three campaigns because their candidates had received death threats, a lot of them, and each of them had gone into debt buying extra security. One of them was the campaign of Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, and the friend who convinced me to donate to her campaign and to try to buy off some of her security debts was Arizona State Representative Kirsten Cinema. So the MSNBC president, who didn't know those details, said, this looks bad. I know it's your right to do it. It's not like we're going to suspend you or anything stupid like that. And, and this is sort of our fault, too, but it just looks bad. Can, can you say something, anything you can do? And I said, yeah, it does look bad. You're right. I'll apologize on the show tomorrow. And, and I know I don't have to. I'll voluntarily stop any campaign contributions as long as I'm doing the newscast or the show or the anchoring of the elections or whatever. Let me think about it. And he said, great. And I said, great. And he asked me about the Mets. And I went home and wrote the apology that night. And I sent it to him. And he said, that's great. And I said, great. And I said, also, it's great. I already have part of tomorrow's show written. And that was it. The next morning, without a hearing, without a phone call, without an email, without any warning. His boss, the president of NBC News, this hysterical teenager disguised as an adult named Steve Kappas. Steve Kappas puts out a press release in which he angrily suspends me indefinitely without pay and specifies it is for violations of the NBC News employee rulebook. The NBC News employee rulebook says NBC News employees cannot make donations to political campaigns. NBC had a huge problem that Steve Kappas did not know or intentionally had forgotten. Number one, within hours, there was a petition on social media demanding my reinstatement, 250,000 signatures. Then NBC tried to get Chris Hayes to fill in for me that night. I have a lot of problems with Chris's work since then, but to his eternal credit in my book, he refused to sit in for me. He was not under contract then. And he told the MSNBC management that suspending me was stupid and unjustified. Even people at Fox News went on the air that night and said, this is absurd. I believe one of the quotes was, are we supposed to be surprised Keith Olbermann is a Democrat? And is he not allowed to donate? because he does a liberal commentary show on a liberal network? Well, what they didn't know, though, was at NBC there was a lot of shushing and worrying because everybody at NBC News made political donations. They just hid them by donating in their wife's name or the kid's name or whoever. I was the only one who'd ever been honest about it. But this guy Kappas dug in and demanded that I be suspended for a month without pay at least. And all this was public and well-documented. And the next thing I knew, that petition was disseminated on, of all places, Twitter. 250,000 signatures before nightfall. What everybody did not know was the part that occurred inside 30 Rock that afternoon. NBC lawyers called up this kid, Steve Kappas, and said, as I was told, you idiot. Have you ever read his contract? You suspended him for violating the NBC News employee rulebook? Listen, moron. Alderman is not an NBC News employee. 
we wrote the contract so it specifically declares several different times on several different pages that he is not an employee, that he's an independent contractor. Remember? And now Kappas screams at the lawyers and he says, why did you do that? And the lawyers say, we did that. Us and you. Remember? You told us that we should do that so you could save money from your news budget because if Keith wasn't an NBC News employee, you would not have to pay him health insurance and dental. Apparently, there was then a very long silence, followed by the repeated use of the phrase, breached the contract. And the lawyer saying there were now four options for Capus. One, reinstate the non-employee immediately and hope we don't get sued by him. Two, reinstate the non-employee immediately, apologize and write a new contract. Three, end the show, pay the non-employee the 15 or $16 million you owe him for the remainder of the contract and hope we don't get sued for damages beyond that. Or four, throw a lot of money in the air at him and negotiate negotiate a settlement, and end the show. In the short term, what happened was they told me on a Friday I was suspended. On Tuesday, I was back on the air. And just like at UPI, they couldn't even dock my pay or charge me days off for Friday or Monday. I got a four-day weekend. Morons. Making this even wilder, hours after I was non-suspended, Al Gore called me. Al owned a struggling TV network called Current, and he said, what NBC doing is illegal, and if you sue them, you could own the place, but I think I have a better idea that can be the start of something big. Bring Countdown to Current TV. We'll give you $50 million plus bonuses plus a piece of the network. You'll be an owner. Well... That didn't work out from a programming sense. It kind of worked out from a money sense. I don't know where Campus is now. Wait a minute. Let me open the door here and see if I can hear some shrill girl-like screaming. No, no, nothing. He's probably a professor somewhere. I hope it's at a free school. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the studios of the Olbermann Broadcasting Empire, high atop its headquarters in the Sports Capsule Building here in New York. Here are our credits. Most of the music you've heard was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown musical directors. Produced by TKO Brothers, all orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel, guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc., though I should call the BBC and ask them if they'll let me use the match of the day theme. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Richard Lewis. Everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 798th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. So until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck.
Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.